This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our studies in the book of Job today in Job chapter 41. After discussing the behemoth, the magnificent land animal which we saw that was probably one of the great dinosaurs, God now turns to a great and terrifying sea creature to show his creative power and the power he has over his creation. Even such a magnificent creature as the Leviathan. Wayne Jackson on page 86 of his work, the book of Job, made this comment, and I quote, The design of the illustration is, of course, to once more emphasize the wisdom and power of the Creator in dramatic contrast to the ignorance and impotence of the creature, unquote. In Job 41, verse 1, God says that the Leviathan is almost impossible to capture. Job 41.1 says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Well, this is another creature that the translators didn't know what the animal was. The Hebrew word is also Leviathan. And it's found five times in the Bible. Well, before we go ahead and look at those places where it's found, I want to give you Brown Driver Briggs' definition of the Hebrew word Leviathan. It's defined this way. Leviathan, sea monster, dragon, large aquatic animal, perhaps the extinct dinosaur Plesiosaurus, exact meaning unknown. Well, let's look at the five times now that the word Hebrew word Leviathan is found in the King James Version. First one is Job chapter 3 verse 8. And here they did not transliterate the verse that way. They translated it in a different way. Verse 8 says, Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their mourning. M-O-U-R-I-N-G. The word mourning there is translated from the Hebrew word Leviathan. The American Standard Version renders Job 3.8 this way. Let them curse it excuse me, let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. The next place that we find the word Leviathan is Psalm 74, 14. Psalm 74, verse 14. Of God it says there, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. So the psalmist here is speaking of God's great power to kill this sea monster and give it to the people of the wilderness for food. 
It is also, the word is found in Psalm 104, verse 26. Psalm 104, verse 26. There it says, There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. Again, talking about the sea, verse 25 tells us there. So the psalmist here is describing the active scenes on the surface of the oceans of the globe. And he mentions the Leviathan that plays in the oceans. So this creature, the Leviathan there, was around whenever the psalmist wrote this verse or this psalm. Now, in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, and this is the fifth time that we're going to be looking at, Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, it says there, if I can get my page to turn for me, in that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing servant, even Leviathan, that crooked servant, serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Well, this is kind of apocalyptic literature here in Isaiah where it speaks of the future time when the Jews would be captive in Babylon and desire deliverance. There are three different animals which commentators say describe three world powers that had Israel in captivity, and that being Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Each world power would fall. So that's kind of a symbolic language there, but the word Leviathan is used there a couple of times. Well, this animal that God is speaking out of back here in Job 41.1, it says it cannot be hooked and it cannot be roped. Now, you may have in your Bible, that uh, may say something there about uh, maybe a crocodile or something like that. Well, many believe this animal to be a crocodile, but we will see later the crocodile does not fit the description of this Leviathan. We're going to see that the Leviathan is probably one of the water-dwelling dinosaurs like the Plesiosaurus. If you go online and you look at Plesiosaurus, you're going to see some amazing pictures there of what people believe this Plesiosaurus, this dinosaur, looked like. Uh, the size of it and the amount of teeth that it has. You can look at uh, Plesiosaurus fossils there. And if you look at Plesiosaurus on Wikipedia, and this is some facts that Wikipedia gives about the Plesiosaurus. Its mass is 1,100 pounds in its adult. Its height is 3.3 feet. Its length is 11 feet. There are 20 to 25 teeth per upper jaw row and 24 per lower jaw row. So this is a great animal there and a fierce animal. Well, the Leviathan could not be led about with a rope as a tame animal in Job chapter 41 verse 2. It says, Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? 
Uh, Albert Barnes states this concerning this verse, and I quote, Mr. Bruce, speaking of the manner of fishing in the Nile, says that when a fisherman is caught a fish, he draws it to the shore, puts a strong iron ring into its jaw. To this ring is fastened a rope by which the fish is attached to the shore, which he then throws again into the water, unquote. So I'm thinking something close to like a fish stringer that we use today or maybe something such as that. But the Leviathan could not be controlled in this way. In verse 3, it says the Leviathan, if apprehended, will not speak soft words or beg for release. Job 41.3 Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? So this creature is cannot be tamed. It will not tamely submit to its capture. In verse 4, it says, This is a fierce animal that will not make an arrangement to become your servant. Job 41.4 Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? So this animal, it cannot be tamed. It cannot be reduced to servitude. It is a great animal, a great creation of God that human beings cannot control. In verse 5, God says here, you cannot make a pet out of a Leviathan. Job 41, 5. Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? In other words, the Leviathan cannot be bound to entertain people or to entertain even such as maidens or the tender and delicate females. In verse 6, God says, You cannot feast on him and divide him among the merchants. Job 41, 6. Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? The American Standard Version renders the verse this way. Will the bands of fishermen make traffic of him? Will they part him among the merchants? Now, again, some people think this animal to be a Nile crocodile. But Adam Clark makes a statement that disproves this idea. He makes this comment, and I quote, It is certain, according to Herodotus, uh, Library 2, uh, C70, that they killed and ate crocodiles at Apollonopoli and Elephantis in Egypt, unquote. Well, the savageness of the Leviathan would discourage fishermen from trying to market this animal commercially, as we looked at there in verse 6. In Job 41.7, we see the tough skin of this animal could not be penetrated by sharp objects, Job 41.7. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears. Well, you think about this animal could not be a, a whale then because the skin of whales has been penetrated with harpoons. So 
you know, again, some people say it's a crocodile, but we know for certain now that it cannot be a whale. And then he says in verse 8 of Job 41, If you attempt to lay a hand on the Leviathan, you will receive a lesson you will never forget. Job 41, 8. Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. So the Leviathan is a dangerous animal. And if you try to take it, you'll never try it again because of one or two reasons. Either you will not want to or you'll be dead. Have people gone back and tried to recapture alligators or crocodiles? Absolutely they have. This animal is not one that you would want to fight with or deal with again. In John 41, 9, it says the hope of taking the Leviathan is in vain. Job 41, 9. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? So the mere sight of the Leviathan is discouraging. They are cast down before him. He is a fierce beast that strikes terror into those that see him. So you think about the crocodile. Is that crocodile that kind of an animal? Is it in vain even trying to take one? No. Crocodiles have been captured, etc. Well, now let's look at Job 41.10. God says no human has the courage to rouse the Leviathan. So who can stand before its creator, Job 41.10. None is so fierce that dare stir him up, stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Albert Barnes makes this comment on the verse, and I quote, the meaning of this is plain. It is, if one of my creatures is so formidable that man dare not attack it, how can he contend with the great creator? This may perhaps be designed as a reproof of Job. He expressed or had expressed a desire to carry his cause before God and to urge argument before him in vindication of himself. God here shows him how hopeless must be a contest with the Almighty. Man trembles and is disarmed of his courage by even the sight of one of the creatures of God. Overpowered with fear, he retires from the contemplated contest and flees away. How then could he presume to contend with God? What hope could he have or could he have in a contest with him? Unquote. So again, we're looking at this creature here, this Leviathan. Men will not even dare attack it. Have men attacked a crocodile? Yes, they have. They will not attack a Leviathan. But again, he's making the point, if you won't come up against a Leviathan, what thinks you can come up against the Leviathan's creator? Well, in verse 11, God says that no one can put God under obligation. Job 41.11 Who hath prevented me? that I should repay him. 
whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Well, the American Standard Version renders the verse this way. Who hath first given unto me that I should repay him? Whatsoever under the whole heaven is mine. So God is under obligation to no one. And everything in the universe belongs to God. So humans should submit themselves to God without complaint and trust God even when they are in pain or when we are in pain. Well, going back to the Leviathan, God continues to describe this animal in verse 12. He says, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Well, God here is speaking of the Leviathan's limbs as the branch of a tree, its great strength and its graceful frame. The literal translation of the Bible puts the verse this way. I will not keep silent as to his limbs or the matter of his powers or the grace of his frame. Well, there where it mentions in King James Version, I will not conceal his parts. The parts, the word parts from the Hebrew word B-A-D, bad, Strong's defines this way, properly separation. By implication, a part of the body branch of a tree, bar for carrying, figuratively chief of a city, especially with prepositional prefix as adverb, apart only besides. So he's describing this part or this body as the branch of a tree or a bar for carrying. And then he also says, or his power. The Hebrew word gubura, Brown Driver Briggs defines it as strength and might. And then he mentions his comely proportion. The word comely there from the Hebrew word chien, which Brown Driver Briggs defines as beauty and grace. And then he also says his comely proportion. The word proportion from the Hebrew word harek, Brown Driver Briggs defines as order, row, estimate, things that are set in order, layer or pile. So God is here describing the strength and the grace of the Leviathan. Do we think of the crocodile as being a graceful animal? To ask is to answer well, in verse 13, God says to Job, Who can rip the hide off this terrible monster or put a bridle in his jaws? Verse 13. Who can discover the face of his garment or who can come to him with his double bridle? Well, the Geneva, Geneva Bible's translator's notes puts it this way. Quote, that is, who dare pull off his skin 
or who dare put a bridle in his mouth, unquote. So again, to ask the question, have crocodile skins or alligator skins ever been used to make something like boots, shoes, belts, etc.? In verse 14, God says, who would dare look into the mouth of the Leviathan? Job 41, 14. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. So his ferocious mouth is terrifying and his jaws are tremendous. No one would put their head into the mouth of the Leviathan. And yet you think about the killer whale. Have people, trainers, ever put their mouth or heads into the mouth of a killer whale? Yes, they have. You wouldn't do it with a Leviathan. In verses 15 through 17 of Job 41. God says the Leviathan scales are impenetrable because they are tightly woven together by his maker. Job 41, 15 to 17. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close, close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together. They cannot be sundered. So its scales of the Leviathan are like strong shields laid close together, impenetrable. Now verse 18 in description of this animal proves that this is not a crocodile because this animal, the Leviathan, is a fire-breathing animal. Chapter 41, verse 18. By his sneezings, a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Well, there are some that try to say, well, this is just the vapor blown up into the air by the crocodile, but that doesn't fit. Ever heard of a fire-breathing dragon? You know, this animal could be where the fire-breathing dragon legends come from. Legends are almost always based on facts and not just imagination. Dragon legends and pictures or pictographs and such can be found in Africa, India, Europe, the Middle East, the Orient, and every other part of the world. Now, the following information that I'm going to give you is on dragon stories, and it comes from the great the book, The Great Dinosaur Mystery, and this is from pages 37 and then pages 40 through 41. It says, and he's going to give different regions and the stories that come from them. Babylon. A hero named Gilgamesh traveled to a distant land to cut great cedar trees needed for his city. 
He reached the forest with 50 volunteers and discovered a huge reptile-like animal that ate trees and reeds. Gilgamesh killed it and cut off its head for a trophy. France. The city of Nurlik was named in honor of the killing of a dragon there. The animal was described as bigger than an ox and had long, sharp, pointed horns on its head, possibly a triceratops. Europe. A well-known old science book, the Historia Animal, let's see, Animalium, or claims that dragons were not extinct in the 1500s, but they were extremely rare and relatively small by then. Italy. A scientist named Ulysses Androvandus carefully described the small dragon seen along a farm road in northern Italy on May 13, 1572. The creature was small enough that a farmer killed it with his walking stick. The animal had only hissed at, farmer, at the farmer's oxen as they approached the road. The scientist got the dead body and made measurements and drawing and had it mounted for a museum. It had a long neck, a very long tail, and a fat body. The skeletons of a number of ancient reptile-like creatures match this description. And Aldrovandus wrote, and I quote, The dragon was first seen on May 13, 1572, hissing like a snake. He had been hiding on the small estate of Master Patronus near Docius in a place called Molinatra, let's see, Molinalta. At 5 p.m., he was caught on a public highway by a herdsman named Baptista of Camodulus near the hedge of a private farm a mile from the remote city outskirts of Bologna. Baptista was following his ox cart home when he noticed the oxen suddenly come to a stop. He kicked them and shouted at them, but they refused to move and went down on their knees rather than move forward. At this point, the herdsman noticed a hissing sound and was startled to see this strange little dragon ahead of him. Trembling, he struck it on the head with his rod and killed it. Aldrovandus was surprised that the reptile did not run when he saw the man, but instead bravely raised its head and stood its ground. That's Italy. On April 26, 1890, the Tombstone Epitaph, a local Arizona newspaper, reported that two cowboys had discovered and shot down a creature described as a winged dragon which resembled a pterodactyl, only much larger. The cowboy said its wingspan was 160 feet and its body was more than 4 feet wide and 92 feet long. The cowboy supposedly cut off the end of the wing to prove the existence of the creature. The paper's description of the animal fits the Quetzalcoatlus, whose fossils were found in Texas, and that's from a Google search uh, cowboys outside Tombstone, Arizona, killed pterosaur. And you can get pictures off of the internet of this animal. And you see, 
you can see a picture of a fossil of it and you can see a, a restoration of what it maybe looked like compared to a man standing there. Now of course some of the wingspan it could have been exaggerated in the body and such as that but that animal is a huge animal when you look at it. Well in Job 41 20 God says that out of the nostrils of the Leviathan comes smoke. Job 41 20. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. So again, steam coming out, smoke coming out. And you know, if this animal was not a real animal, then there's no point that God is making to Job. It would be useless. Oh, let's say, oh yeah, Job, remember Babe, or God, I see. Babe, the blue ox. Oh yeah, you better watch out for him. Yeah, well, Paul Bunyan's ox, well, we're sure it was as huge as it says in the story. No, this is a real animal that God is pointing out to Job. And then in Job 41, 21, a flame goes out of the mouth of the Leviathan. Out of, or his breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Ever seen a fire-breathing crocodile? Or alligator? No. Dave Miller in class comments on the book of Job made this comment and I quote, figurative language would not impress Job. This is literal language. Virtually every culture has legends of fire breathing dragons. This is clearly a sea creature, unquote. Wayne Jackson in his book the book of Job made this comment on pages 87 and 88, and I quote, Dr. Dwayne Gish in his interesting book, Dinosaurs, Those Terrible Lizards, has made an unusual suggestion. First, he points out that there is precedent for a fire-breathing creature in nature, the bombardier beetle, Brachinus is equipped with a firing mechanism that allows him to shoot a fiery stream of hot 212 degree Fahrenheit gases into his face when attacked. This is accomplished by the mixture of two chemicals, hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone in little storage tanks in its tail. So the principle is known. Second, Gish observes that there were three types of dinosaurs that had helmet-like bony crests in the top of their heads. Their fossils reveal that these structures were hollow and that they were connected by tubes to their noses. He suggests that it is not impossible that these great beasts possessed a firing apparatus somewhat analogous to that of the bombardier beetle and that this may be the creature referred to in Job 41, 19 through 21. And you can go to the internet and you can type in bombardier beetle and it'll tell you all about this little creature and it'll show you a picture of him actually using this defensive mechanism, firing it across underneath his body 
and it will go into the face or whatever there of a predator wanting to eat him. And then in Dwayne Gish's book, uh, you can go in and look and see a picture of his depiction of this fire-breathing dinosaur. Well, in Job 41, verse 22, strength permanently resides in the Leviathan's neck, and terror dances before him. Job 41, 22. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The literal translation puts the verse this way. Strength abides in his neck, and terror dances before him. The American Standard also mentions or re, uh, translated as terror danceth before him. Well, in other words, he strikes terror into anyone that faces him. Albert Barnes puts it this way, and I quote, Strength resided in his neck, but his approach made terror and alarm play before him wherever he went. That is, produced terror and dread. In his neck is permanent calm strength. Before him, everything trembles and is agitated, unquote. In verse 23, God says the Leviathan's muscles are strongly and firmly compacted. He has no soft underbelly. Verse 23 of Job 41. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. So he is fused together. He is solid firm and immovable. And then in verse 24, God says the attitude of the Leviathan, Leviathan is firm as a stone. Verse 24. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as a piece, or as a heart as a piece of the nether millstone. The nether millstone was the lower millstone that they used to grind their grain and stuff with, and that lower millstone was the hardest of the two stones. In verse 25, it says, When the Leviathan raises himself out of the water, even the mightiest are terrified. Job 41:25. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. Well, when the Leviathan crashes into the water, in other words, the mighty do not know where to flee. Gesenius says, quote, they lose themselves from terror, unquote. So this mighty creature, when he raises himself up out of the water, they're beside themselves. They don't know where to go. Well, weapons are of no avail against the Leviathan. And that is verses 30, 26 through 30. Verse 26. 
the sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the harbison. So the the sword of the one who reaches at him will not stick, neither will the spear or the arrow or the javelin. None of those will work. Verse 27, he esteemeth iron as straw and brass as rotten wood. Weapons of iron or bronze are like straw and rotten wood to the Leviathan. Verse 28, the arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. You think about it, clubs are like stubble and it laughs at the spear. Verse 29, darts or clubs are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. So, again, oh, I meant I've got ahead of myself there. The previous verse, neither arrows or sling stones will penetrate his hide, and clubs are like stubble. He laughs at the spear. Verse 30, sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire. So the Leviathan scales are like pieces of broken pottery, and this animal also moves through swampy areas. So the animal, the Leviathan, cannot be wounded by any weapon. Can a crocodile? Yes. In verse 31, the Leviathan also lives in the oceans and tremendously stirs them up when it swims around. Job 41, 31. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. So it churns the water as it travels through the water and makes it look like a boiling pot or a jar of ointment. In verse 32, the Leviathan makes a white foam of the waters where it passes. Job 41:32. He maketh a path to shine after him and would one would think the deep to be hoary, H-O-A-R-Y. So it leaves a shining wake behind it like a head of white hair. Does a crocodile do that? No. In verse 33, God says, There is no animal on earth that is equal to a Leviathan. Upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, For size, strength, ferocity, courage, and formidableness, no animal will bear a comparison with him, unquote. The Leviathan's not afraid of anything. And then in verse 34, the Leviathan looks down on everything as being inferior to him. 41:34. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. So the Leviathan is the king of the animal creation. Now the lion's called the king of the jungle, but the Leviathan is greater than the lion. There is no animal or human that does not fear the Leviathan. Well, what is this 
tremendous animal that God created. Most commentators I looked at said it was a crocodile. Adam Clark, quote, Perhaps there is no creature who is at all acquainted with man so totally destitute of fear as the crocodile, unquote. But then he contradicts that it's a crocodile in his next statement. Adam Clark again, quote, The crocodiles were caught with a baited hook. At least one species of crocodile, we have the testimony of Herodotus. Again, Library 2, C70. They take the back or chine of a swine and bait a hook with it and throw it out into the midst of the river and the fisherman stands at some distance on the shore holding a young pig which he irritates in order to make it squeak. When the crocodile hears this, he immediately makes towards the sound and finding the baited hook in his way, swallows it and is then drawn to land when they dash mud into his eyes and blind him, after which he is soon dispatched, unquote. So right there, that doesn't fit the description of a Leviathan, because can crocodiles be caught with hooks? Yes. Do crocodiles have a soft underbelly? Yes, the Leviathan does not. Do crocodiles breed smoke and fire? No. The crocodile does not fit the description of the Leviathan. There were dinosaurs that appear to have had that ability, as we saw, like the bombed of deer beetle. Of course, the atheistic pseudoscientists or people that believe in that won't believe that it's a, a dinosaur, but true science always agrees with the Bible. So before we get into aquatic dinosaurs, and we're going to look at that for a little bit, what is God trying to do in speaking about these two great animals, the behemoth and the, and the leviathan? Wayne Jackson on page 88 of his book made this comment, and I quote, What was the Lord trying to teach Job by the introduction of these awesome creatures? Obviously this. If man is unable to contend with one of Jehovah's flesh and blood creations, he certainly is not fit to commit, contend against the Almighty himself, unquote. Well, let's look at some notes on aquatic dinosaurs. Now, we've already said that the dinosaur could have been a plesiosaurus, but here's another one. Leviathan may have been a Chronosaurus, uh, K-R-O-N-O-S-A-U-R-U-S, or something like it. Uh, you look at the Chronosaurus picture on the internet, this was a huge animal. The Plesiosaurus was not as big as the Chronosaurus. Well, the Chronosaurus facts from off Wikipedia again, it says this, a feature of the genus Chronosaurus is that the first three maxillary teeth are enlarged to fangs. Current estimates put Chronosaurus at around 9 to 10.9 meters or 30 to 36 feet in length. In 2009, Chronosaurus queenslandicus was estimated to weigh about 10.6 to 12.1 metric tons. 
that's 13.3 short tons. And 13.3 short tons equals 26,600 pounds. Wikipedia continues to say the skull of Chronosaurus was estimated to be 2.21 to 2.85 meters or 7.3 to 9.4 feet. Can you imagine an animal with teeth like it's mentioning there with a skull a little less than 10 feet long? Well, here's something else you can look up. A dinosaur caucus was caught in a fisherman's net on April 10th, 1977, and you can you can look this up on the internet. A Japanese fishing ship, the uh, Zio Maru, I don't know if I pronounced that right or not caught the decaying body of a large, strange reptile in 900 feet of water near Christchurch, New Zealand. Photographs, measurements, and tissue samples all show that it was probably one of the great marine reptiles like Plesiosaurus. The animal was 32 feet long and weighed about 4,000 pounds. It had four fins that were each about three feet long. The director of animal research at the National Science Museum of Japan said, quote, It seems that these animals are not extinct after all. It's impossible for only one to have survived. There must be a group, unquote. And that's from the book, The Great Dinosaur Mystery, page 46. And again, you can go on the internet and you can type in dinosaur car carcass caught in a fisherman's net and you can see pictures of this carcass and actually a video there as well. Well, skeptics say that really what they caught was a basking shark. Well, you can go on the internet and you can find a picture of a basking shark and you can look at the pictures of the animal there on the Japanese fishing boat, and they don't look anything like a basking shark. But you look at the fossil of a plesiosaurus, or a drawing of a plesiosaurus, and that is exactly what it looks like, a plesiosaurus. As a matter of fact, the Japanese government issued a stamp with a plesiosaur on it to commemorate this find. And that's from the Great Dinosaur Mystery, page 46. And you can also go on the internet and see this stamp. So the unbiased mind can see that dinosaurs and humans lived together since the creation week. The animals that are described in Job 40 and Job 41 show that dinosaurs and human beings live together. Again, you go back and you think about it. There in Job chapter 40, where God is talking again there to Job, he says in verse 15, Behold now behemoth which I made with thee 
Job 41, can you draw out a Leviathan? Well, if it was a creature that died 65 million years ago, of course not. But it's a real creature. Could be a plesiosaur. Could be a chronosaurus. Could be something like that. But God does not lie like the atheistic skeptics do who use false science in order to try to prove billions of years for the earth and universe age. So concluding there in Job chapter 41, after going through all this on that, God is just showing Job, Job, you wanted to contend with me. I want you to look at this creature, the behemoth. I want you to look at this creature, the Leviathan. If you cannot contend with two of my creatures, what think makes you think you have the right to contend with God Almighty? Well, we're going to stop our lesson there today, and Lord willing, we'll get to the last chapter of Job next week in the next, in the next lesson in Job chapter 42. But again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to opening the scriptures today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.